Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. It's episode 27, and I'm your host, Shelley Risbon. Welcome back. I'm joined by two great guests today. We're going to talk about the art and science of reviewing products, and these guys know what they're talking about. And they are Scott Dabbert, who is a part of the accessibility team over at Sprint. He's also a contributor to AppleViz, Blind Bargains Podcast, and Access World Magazine. Hi, Scott. Oh, hello, Shelley. It's great to be here. And, uh, you know, because of no uh, tasty treat for Android, I'm happy to know that we can still at least get sprinkles of accessibility right here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and my other guest is Kelly Gumont, who is a contributor to the Mac Observer and host of a lot of podcasts. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> Hi, Shelley. I'm glad to be here. This is going to be fun. I'm glad to have both of you guys. And, and, and Kelly did just update her bio and we will let her and Scott both plug their stuff at the end. Sometimes I talk and then I realize I have to look over to my right and then I can't do two things at once. Mm -hmm. So I wanted you guys to come on the show because I have been a product reviewer in various capacities for a really long time. And I find it sort of an interesting, as I said, art and science. But you guys have also done that kind of work. And I just wanted to kind of pick your brains about what, how you do what you do and what your philosophy on it is. And so let's start out with where you review products. Scott, I'm most familiar with your work because you do these exhaustive reviews of devices called Braille displays. And they're, they're just kind of amazing and super nerdy and, and I really enjoy them. So, so talk about the products that you review and how long you've been doing it. Well, I've been reviewing products off and on um, in terms of publishing for probably five years now. Um, is that why I'm so tired today? Because it's, it, it can be exhausting. I'm not sure. But it's... <laughs> uh, it's also because March was an additional five years. Yeah, right. I think that. that might be why. It's still that yeah. way, isn't it? <laughs> um, and so I, um, yeah, I primarily look at Braille displays, but I also look at, for example, every time a new iOS release drops, uh, you know, the accessibility functions. I don't, I don't quite have the ambition to do an entire book like somebody else we know on the podcast, but um, <laughs> not mention any names, uh, Shelley. Uh, but, no, but I know how to make web links. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's where it all starts, right? Um, that's right. So yeah, it's been, um, it's been kind of a process for me as far as um, I kind of um, look at a lot of Braille devices because there's, there are they're expensive devices. First of all, uh, they range in cost from five hundred dollars all the way up to over seven thousand dollars in some rare cases. Uh, so obviously, on the higher end of things, you want to kind of have an idea of what you're getting into before you invest that kind of money. Now the problem is it's kind of a niche market. Um, I don't know. Do you want to get into a brief ex explanation of what exactly Braille displays are, or do you think uh, we're good? That might be a good idea. Just just fairly briefly. We don't have to go into displays versus note takers or anything, but what is a, right. what, how do most people use Braille displays? Well, let's say Braille device, we'll say, and just keep it uh, more simple. So uh, screen readers, we have to have a very brief explanation of that, first of all. Essentially what they do is they take the text and the metadata presented on uh within, you know, coding of a program or an application uh, or a website or maybe something as simple as a text document. They take that textual information provided provided to the user along with the metadata, and that's where you get uh, what 
we call a screen reader. So all that information is interpreted by the screen reader and it will um, put that out in a synthesized speech. Now, uh, a braille display is sort of an extension to that. And whatever, in theory anyway, goes to the speech synthesizer will also be sent to a connected braille display in refreshable braille. So you're able then to uh, access whatever the screen reader says, again, in theory, uh, in Braille only, if you want to do, which is usually what I do. So then people use Braille displays with computers and with mobile devices like iOS devices and maybe to a lesser extent Android devices. But the differences between them, as you said, there's a lot of price difference, but there are feature differences that we probably don't have to go into here. But that suffice it to say for somebody who's reviewing products, it's important for you to get into the nitty gritty. And a lot of it is like with any other device, it's about portability. It's about whether the keys are in the right places, whether they have the keys that you want, whether it's fast, and then whether it's got a good cost benefit. Is that about right? Yeah. You know, it's a bit like, uh, let's say you're looking at a smartphone versus a computer, right? You don't want to lug around a 27 inch monitor to read your text messages. Uh, but you probably also don't want a three-inch screen to read a book on either. So, you know, it's the same way you have a lot of different product variation in terms of uh, mainstream products, we'll say. Uh, the same is also true for accessibility and the products that we need to uh, level the playing field. Yeah, believe it or not, we actually do get some choices. It's yeah. it's not always as much choice as you'd like, but there are choices. So, so Kelly, talk about what you do for the Mac Observer and other product review kind of work that you do. Okay. Uh, well, my my product review experience started um, like ages ago in an unofficial capacity because I was always a person who would try something out and let you know if it was cool or if it was weird or uh, you know whatever it was. Like I would end up. Um, something would catch my eye and I would buy one and go, hey, you know, this is cool. Or, you know, this seems like a thing that would be really useful and you shouldn't go near it. Um, so like unofficially, I did that for a long time. And then I started writing for the unofficial Apple weblog. And when I was writing at Tua, I would review things there. And um, the angle that I have to bring to stuff is how is this going to be useful to a person moving through the world as opposed to, um, this is a cool new tech gadget that other people who very much enjoy tech gadgets will like. Because my my angle on all of that has always been less about if it's a thing that I will like, because it's very easy for all of us to sort of read each other's websites and, and figure all that out ourselves. Uh, my, my angle on it is more toward... Um, is this something that somebody who doesn't spend all their time, you know, if, if you spend all day on a computer and then spend all your free time on a computer as well, like it's going to be very easy for you to find this stuff that works for you. And uh, if you're a woman or if you're a person who is less technical and that's not, you know, troubleshooting a network is not necessarily your idea of a good time. Uh, are, is this going to be a, like a practical thing that's actually going to help you with your life or make, you know, make things better or easier in, in some particular way. So that tends to be the stuff that I'm looking for when I'm looking at the kinds of things I want to review. Is there a way to get yourself in that mindset? Because you presumably are a pretty nerdy person. You like this stuff. You probably I spend am. more time with it than most of your readers do. <laughs> yes. So how do you kind of make sure you're thinking right about the way you review a product? Um, Generally, the first thing I will do is um, I will try it out on my husband. Uh, Mr. Kelly very much enjoys technology, but he's not a person who enjoys fiddling around with it, like 
troubleshooting is the opposite of his idea of fun. So if I can hand him something and he can go, this works, it doesn't work. Why does it do this? Why doesn't it do that? Uh, he will always be my first filter. And then I will try to find one of my parents because these are, because my, uh, my parents are divorced and each of them remarried. So I have, and I have in-laws. So I have many parents from which to choose for this for the phase two. also known as guinea pigs yes <laughs> so um i will try parents or other members of my family who are people who see the utility of a smartphone but maybe have never installed an app on it or have installed a couple of apps because i told them to right or you know very basic stuff like i understand that it makes my life better but i don't spend all my time there so i will find those folks and uh, see what they have to say about it and then i sort of think about um, uh, like the parts, because I do like to actively unplug from time to time. I don't spend a lot of time on my phone on the weekends or on my computer on the weekends, if I can help it. Um, I'm trying to do other stuff during, during a lot of time. And I try to be very conscious about not being part of that. So is this something that makes, makes it easier to do that or harder to do that? Like when I'm, when I'm reviewing things and, you know, some things that, that I've reviewed are things like, um, microphones for podcasts or um, a device that you hook to your computer to do a particular kind of thing. And if I can hand that to uh, somebody who's a less technical person and they can figure out what to do with it or why it would be a good idea to have without me having to give them the pitch, that seems like a thing that should definitely get attention. And also, um, I bring a lot of end user experience when I'm reviewing anyway, because I, um, I've done tech support for a lot of years for a lot of different products. So uh, part, of, part of tech support, if you do tech support for long enough, is you start being pretty good at figuring out the parts that users won't be able to figure out or won't be able to use or uh, won't make sense. Like I know people are gonna call me about this. I know people are gonna send emails because this doesn't seem like it's doing what it should. So when you spend enough time doing that sort of thing, um, you can find a lot of ways that uh, people who are maybe less technical uh, would would run into trouble or maybe not like something or maybe really like something. I can see where people who don't spend a lot of time with their phones and don't want to fiddle around with a particular, you know, with a lightning cable or a micro USB cable, for example, um, I can see why those people would be really excited about wireless charging because you just set it down and as soon as it says it's charging, you're done. Everything's better. You know, like I can find, I can sort of put myself in that mindset and go, you know, would would this be something my in-laws would like? Is this the kind of thing I would get one of my parents for Christmas because it would make their life better in some measurable way? Scott, there's a huge diversity in the accessibility community among levels of use. There, there are nerds, and then there are people who really are afraid of technology and have been maybe given a device through rehab or for some, some other reason, but they're really uncomfortable with it. So when you're reviewing products, how do you address that wide range of users it's a real tough line to draw and sometimes it comes down to the publication or you know people i'm doing the review for uh, for example some blogs uh, vision aware was one that i used to write for uh, which was an afb thing and that was more geared toward the rehab professional and also more toward uh, you know professionals in the field but they may not have the technical knowledge uh, so in those cases, I had to kind of break different types of things down. 
you know, talk more in general terms about why this product is good or why it's bad. Now, on the consumer side of things, they probably want to know more like, well, can I type really fast in Braille to use this device or is it going to, you know, mess up? Because that's a typical problem. Or what does the device feel like? As a blind person, you're not able to look at pictures. So, um, you know, that is an important thing for the access world. Uh, a lot of the readers are people who are using the technology, not buying the technology. Although I think the uh, the market is really kind of merging between the two now. So that kind of makes it even more difficult because what detail do you leave in? What one uh, do you leave out? So it really uh, kind of evolves depending on the publication I'm writing for. And also, um, you know, what what is different? What stands out about this device? You know, some of... Um, what Kelly was saying is also a factor too. How usable is this? Maybe the product works, but is it really usable? Is it convenient compared to what else is on the market? So it really, you know, depends on A, the product and B, the audience. So for both of you, you've been given something to review. Maybe it's a $4,000 Braille display. Maybe it's a really snazzy iPhone charger, whatever it might be. It's, it's come into your desk and you've been given a deadline and a word count. How do you organize your brain around what the process is going to be both for evaluating the product and then writing or talking about? Uh, again, it really depends. I guess to me, it's what stands out about this product, good or bad. Uh, you know, the aesthetics of it, the uh, how many cells is it, for example, if you're looking at a Braille display, if you're looking at something like a, a battery bank or something like that, you know, uh, what stands out about it? Uh, for a blind person, if it has a flashlight that can be easily bumped, that's a real problem because you're going to run your battery down eventually without even realizing it. Um, so it really just depends on whatever kind of stands out about the product to me, good or bad, you know, and sometimes you can look at the user documentation and uh, easily determine what's going to be uh, there. But a lot of time for me, I have to start using the product, whatever it may be. And then I kind of start to think, well, yeah, what, what's good about this? What's bad about it? And what is the challenge that somebody's going to have? And that's kind of where I start when, when I get a product. Yeah, I have to start with um, what it is. Um, because is it something that I'm going to have to spend a bunch of time explaining? Like a battery, you know, like a, a USB battery that you can charge your iPhone or your iPad or whatever with. That's a pretty known quantity at this point. That's not really all that novel. So for me to even be ready to review one, it has to be special in some particular way and do something that um that that batteries don't do like I'm, i want it to stand out in in some fashion whatever that is um so i want i generally uh like scott i will start with um uh what makes it different whether it's you know for good or ill um is the packaging really nice is it uh something that's made from recycled materials or um is is it a very pretty representation or a very compact representation of that thing or um you know whatever the point is of it because a lot of times when people reach out to review products um they want to tell you about the thing that's special about it you know these headphones stand out because they have way longer battery life or they're super they're waterproof or you know whatever it is so they want to you know when when people reach out when when pr folks or or companies you know come to you and say like we want you to review this they want you to review it because it's special in some way and and so the first thing i look for is the thing that got my attention in the first place is it really compact is it faster at what it does is it better built than regular ones things like that and i look for and then i look for the other things 
um, like the other things that stand out to me about it, uh, what it, uh, how it operates, how it does whatever it's supposed to do, um, if it's waterproof or if it's uh, durable in some way. Uh, I generally won't go drop it in a glass of water just to see what happens or anything if they say waterproof, but um, but I do want to want to find out, you know, is it is it durable in this way? Um, and a lot of things that are meant to be carried around, I will carry around with me for a while and see how it works. Like I'm not super hard on stuff, but like I I do jam everything into my backpack if I'm headed somewhere or I will throw a lot of stuff in my purse all kind of at the same time and so like how does it hold up if it's just you know me going through life or I will again you know pawn it off on somebody for a few days and how did you like that and was it heavy or was it uh, inconvenient in some particular way you know that maybe I don't think about and so um, I will generally start with like the high level stuff and then look at uh, like this is my workflow for whatever you know whenever I'm using this particular kind of thing I do this how does this product improve that in some way or you know does it does it make it more complicated or does it allow me to do something I couldn't do before this episode of parallel is brought to you by SoundSource from rogue amoeba sound source is a sound control utility so good it should have been built into mac os whether you're listening to podcasts, blasting music, or streaming video, SoundSource is for everyone who uses audio on their Mac. So let me tell you about some of SoundSource's great features and how you can get it at a discount. It gives you per-app audio control, letting you change the volume of any app and route individual apps to different audio devices for better sound quality. You can boost volume levels, add an equalizer, and even apply advanced audio units to any audio on your Mac. Get fast access to your Mac's audio devices, no digging around in system preferences when you need to adjust things. And if you have a display port or HDMI device that doesn't offer volume adjustment, SoundSource can help. It gives the device a proper volume slider, and the Super Volume Keys feature makes your keyboard volume controls work as well. I've been using SoundSource for about a month, and it's been amazing. And it's weird because it feels a little like the app was created just for me and my persnickety audio needs. I demand a lot of my Mac in terms of audio. I want to hear what my Mac is doing. I have the alerts for mail and Slack and Twitter on because I want to hear that through the external monitor that I have. But then I have podcasts and music going, and I want to hear that through a high-quality Bluetooth speaker. When I'm working on an audio project, that audio needs to go into my headphones from Adobe Audition. And SoundSource makes that super easy. Just from the menu bar, I select the app and the audio input or output I want sound to go to, and I never have to go to system preferences again. And I was spending a lot of time going back and forth to system preferences to change audio, and this is great. And for external monitor users, this is pretty cool for another reason. If your volume controls are buried in a menu system and it's difficult for you to get to that menu system, either because it's complicated or because you're blind or visually impaired, you don't have to worry about that anymore because it's right on the sound source menu. You can just change the volume of the external monitor audio and turn those Slack or email alerts down or up depending on your needs. So all this power is available right from your menu bar with SoundSource. Visit macaudio.com parallel to check it out. Download a free trial and save 20, that's 2-0%, with coupon code PARALLEL. That's macaudio.com slash parallel and coupon code PARALLEL. That's P-A-R-A-L-L-E-L, -L -L -E -L, and get your 20% discount. Our thanks to the audio wizards at Rogamiba for supporting the show. 
So when you get down to putting together your review, do you consider yourself somebody who's writing like an objective or somewhat objective explanation of what the product does? Or are you providing an opinion? I mean, does that sort of necessary amount of subjectivity concern you or does it impact the way you write the review? Because you you obviously want to give somebody good actionable information, but you do have an opinion. Maybe you like the feel of it or the look of it in some way, and it may not specifically have to do with how the product is used, but you formed an opinion of it based on your experience with it. But at the same time, like I say, you're trying to give, you know, objective advice. I try to use other reviews that I have read in my life as an example. So one thing that I really like in, say, a movie review is for the person who's reviewing, to, for the critic to talk about what was good or bad about it. Uh, here are the things that are good about it. Here are the things that are not so good about it. And, you know, because like there are movies that are not great, that are dearly loved. Like I can love a movie that's not a great movie. And I can really be left kind of cold and bored by a movie that's a great film. Like I can see that that's an exceptional piece of storytelling and I don't care. You know, <laughs> like that wasn't, that maybe wasn't, wasn't any fun for me. So what I try to do is give people that that information. Um, what I really like about it is that it feels a particular way, or I really like that it is small enough to fit into my purse. And for other people who don't carry a small purse or don't carry a purse at all, they don't care. Um, you know, so I try to give like the 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 objective pieces of it. Um, you may want to know it is this big. It is this heavy. It, uh, if you want to use it, there's this particular hurdle that you need to get over. Uh, to me personally, it is or is not worth that piece. Like overall, I can give the, um, you know, here, here's what it is and here's what it does. And I am in love with it because reasons, or I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole because reasons. And so I tried to give both pieces of that when I'm, when I'm doing a review, like I personally really liked it. So if you're a person who knows that a lot of stuff that I have recommended in the past has kind of been good for you, then you know that like, okay, you know, like that trade-off is something I'm willing to do, or uh, maybe isn't, you know, depending on, the opinion of the person who's doing the doing the review in the first place. Yeah, and I I, uh, I agree with some of what uh, Kelly is saying in that you know it is sort of subjective, and you can say, for example, uh, you can also interject opinion. You know, well, I'll just use an example. Uh, I was reviewing a braille display, and I I said, well, for me, the space bar is too far apart from the rest of the keys on the braille display. Now for someone with bigger hands, they may really like that. Or if you're someone who's checked out different displays and you like the space bars further apart, this might be the device for you. You know, so there's various ways of uh, communicating that information in, uh, in such a way that it's still uh, relevant uh, what they're reading and they also have an idea of what they're going into. You know, you can also objectively say, well, okay, the distance between this and that is whatever it is. And then the user decides for themselves, is that something I like or is that something I don't like? Um, you know, it's, it's really a matter of uh, personal preference in some cases. And I'll interject that too sometimes. I'll say, you know, well, um, this is great, but uh, I don't like blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I definitely don't like blah, blah, blah. But the other thing is with that, uh, you can objectively say, for example, well, battery life is on this is 15 hours. 
you know, that's good enough for a whole day for most people. Or um, these files take 30 seconds to load, which is kind of a long time when you're trying to access your notes in a meeting. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways of addressing that, I think. I wonder how much different outlets have to do with the way you express yourself because, I mean, when I was writing reviews back in the, when I learned to write reviews, I was writing for magazines that definitely had a certain style. I've also written for blogs where it's much more about your personal opinion. And some, some of what Kelly was saying made me think it is also to some extent your reputation as a reviewer. Somebody goes, oh, well, this is what Kelly thought of it. That's going to tell me something about whether I like it because I've read her reviews before. And then there are other environments like Scott Access World that you and I write for where I feel like there's a requirement for a little bit more sort of formality, not objectivity. They, they're fine with opinion, but I feel less comfortable sort of making jokey asides in an environment like that than, than I would in other places. So I wonder whether you guys think the outlet you're writing for makes much difference in how you express yourself. I would, for me, yeah, definitely. Like I said earlier, you know, whether I'm writing for Access World or some other publication will very, very much depend on what sort of things I'm contributing. You know, some places like, for example, is this worth the money? Well, I can't always tell you, make that decision for you, but I can say, well, this is what you're getting for your money. And uh, I also... Uh, rely a lot on my past experience in the field of rehab and also as uh, someone who uses the technology myself in the past, you know, what kind of things do I want to know? What kind of things does a rehabilitation uh, specialist want to know? What does a consumer want to know? And that's where, you know, you really need to know where is my demo? What audience am I writing for? I would say a lot of the same. Um, I've been very lucky in that uh, the review that I give uh, when I write something up at Mac Observer or do a video review at Mac Observer or whether it's whether it was something I wrote at Tua, it was more about sort of getting the review out there for users. And so it tends to be something where um, it feels a lot like a conversation I would have, like, Shelly, if you and I are on the phone and I'm like, do you have one of these? Can I explain to you why you need it so badly? Or... Um, you know, everybody, like, there's a whole bunch of people that are trying to make this thing popular and you don't want to go near it. You know, um, being like, I have had a lot of freedom in being able to put that sort of stuff into reviews and, and talk about it as though I were just talking about it with a person that I know. And uh, like, I, I will spend a little bit more time on uh, the technical pieces of something, if it's a, a technical device or um, you know, if we're going to talk about wireless charging and there's still a whole lot of people who uh, don't know that wireless charging is even an option, you know, like I might spend a second and talk about like, this is a thing that your phone can do if you have a phone from, you know, if you have an iPhone from here, from this one forward, then uh, you can just get one of these little mats and set on it and you, you know, and you're done and everything's better just to keep using that example. Um, but not everybody knows that that's a thing. So I can't just go charging in and go, the latest wireless charger works like this and it's super great and you should have one. Like sometimes you have to explain the benefit of what it is that you're getting technology wise in the first place. So a little bit like Scott was saying, there's, there's an objective, well, but like you were yeah. saying though, um, there's a certain amount of it that's objective, you know, the space bar is this far away or, um, you know, this battery is this big or, you know, whatever it is. And so then, you know, you have to kind of fix that against 
like if I was a regular person and I saw this in a store, you know, if my, it, you know, if, if this was something that caught my eye, would it be worth the $20 that they're charging for it or whatever? And sort of trying to be able to suss that out as well. And I feel like um, that goes back, Shelly, to what you were saying as far as like reputation, um, you know, being able to, to put out there, like, this is a thing that I liked and I thought it was a really good product and having, you know, having enough history and enough like going on podcasts and talking to people about stuff that's really awesome or whatever uh, to, for people to sort of be able to believe that, you know, so, so it is, I do think a little bit about the stuff that I'm reviewing to make sure that, you know, if somebody were to buy it on my recommendation that they would not feel bad about it. And I would not feel bad that I told somebody to get something that, you know, maybe wasn't as great as I thought it was. So what if you have a product that's just terrible. And I've had it happen to me when it was a product that was either highly regarded from a well-known company or that the vendor was really eager for you to have the review and you find out it's just awful. How do you, how do you handle that? Well, there's a thing I learned <laughs> uh, <laughs> the hard way called diplomacy <laughs> because I was on uh, I, I can't, I don't want to mention the product, but I mean, it was terrible. It was really bad. And I put it, I actually put it together for blind bargains and probably some people will figure it out based on that. But even to this day, uh, that particular vendor will have nothing to do with me. Um, but on the other side of the equation was all the people, were all the people who said, I'm really glad you did that. I'm really glad you pointed all these things out because we were looking at getting this as an agency and evaluating yeah. it. Now we don't need to. So, um, Sometimes, you know, you put yourself out there and you burn a bridge, but sometimes you build three bridges for every one you burn if you're yeah. lucky. Um, I have had, um, depending, um, like I've had things where I've gone back to like, uh, you know, I got a review product and it didn't work or, um, you know, they said it was supposed to have three hours of battery life and I got a minute and a half, you know, whatever. Um, I've gone back and uh, tried to get to the bottom of it. Like if it was just a regular support thing, I will try that because I want to know if the support is any good too. Like if I have a, a support issue, uh, can I get help? You know, and not just because the PR person is very eager to make me happy, but just if I was a person just sending an email, would I be able to get anyone's attention? Because I need to know that because that, you know, particularly with the kind of stuff that I write about at Mac Observer, um, that's a thing that people are, may end up needing. And if they need help with the thing, I want to make sure that I'm not recommending them, you know, this thing is great, but if it doesn't work for you, yawn, yawn. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to send anybody out like that. So um, I will try support channels. Um, right. I've also gone back and offered feedback uh, if it was something that really wasn't great in some particular way. Um, gone back to them and said, I just wanted to give you this feedback. When I was trying to use this cable, I was never able to plug it into my phone successfully, for example. I mean, that's not a thing, but, um, you know, I was never able to get it to actually charge my phone. I tried all these things and none of them worked. And I, you know, I don't want to give a review. I don't want to give a, a, a bad review of your cable. Like, is there, you know, is there something I'm missing or, you know, um, cause a couple of times I have had just a flat out defective product, you know, it didn't work for some reason. There was some fundamental flaw, got a new one, everything was fine. And I think the feedback, the, you know, offering the feedback directly and just sort of being upfront about it, um, you know, which is different from me giving a review and going, um, 
you know, I see the, I can see the utility in this. It's not for me personally, but I can see where somebody who needs this, it would be very useful for, right? So um, I, th you know, I think if it were, if it were really, really awful, I've given direct feedback on stuff that really wasn't a great experience to use. And uh, I've gotten reactions back from like, you know, angry email replies to, um, uh, you know, we're in the process of updating that thing that is the biggest problem that you have. And what I'd really like to do is just have you wait a month. And when we can get you the new version, would you please review that instead? That kind of thing. You know, you can really use it to build a bridge, too, between yourself and the uh, manufacturer. A lot of the time now what I do, now that I'm uh, supposedly wiser, uh, that's debatable. Very debatable. But what I do now is I'll even send the uh, article. And I'll say, well, first of all, are there any inaccuracies within this? Um, or if I have a support issue, for example, something's not working as expected or whatever, I'll contact them and make that part of my article and say, hey, you know, I didn't quite understand X, Y, and Z to start with. I contacted the company. They had really great support. And you know, now we're off and running. So you can really um, use, even if there isn't a, a defective product, you can use that to everyone's advantage and that you can, if you have the time, work with the company to make it a much better product. There's one I'm working on right now where that's the case. You know, it had a lot of challenges early on. We've worked through a lot of them. Now I can write a really great review. Whereas in the beginning, uh, I would, would have been very sad to write that review. So, you know, um, it's really, yeah, it's really learning about what is it that, uh, how can we be most effective to bring not only good products, product reviews to the market, but also help the market provide better products in some cases. What, what both of you guys are, are saying, that also seems to be the mark of a maturity as a reviewer, because I remember when I would first get a product, if I had a problem with it, well, first of all, I would internalize it and I would think, well, I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> and I didn't want to go to the company and I didn't want to say, hey, is this how it's supposed to work? And I found once I had done it a while I learned that that was the right thing to do and that when you did it, you needed to be real specific about what your issue was mm -hmm. so that it wasn't, this is terrible, it doesn't work, this is crappy. You could say, well, when I tried to connect the cable this way, it sparked and caught on fire. That's probably not desired <laughs> behavior, By the way, now correct? I'm homeless. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I've never sent any, I've never sent anybody an article and that, that just as a journalist sort of, I, I don't think I could do that, but I, I have gone, I've have, you know, told them sections of it. I said, well, we're going to talk about the door latch mechanism, and this is what I'm going to say about it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any comment? You know, something like that. Yeah. So um, then you get down to the writing process. So this is sort of how you evaluate the product and how you think about what you're going to say. Do you have a way of getting into the actual... Uh, writing process? Do you do, are you heavily outline oriented or do you just sort of start writing and see how it goes or does it depend on who you're writing for? Either of you? Uh, for me, I kind of usually have a mental outline and then I start working on, an, you know, if there's tons of information that's really new to me and I'm like, well, I'm not going to remember all this stuff. Yeah. Then I'll start kind of a, an outline, you know, a document. But a lot of the time I kind of just outline it in my head, what I want to say, and then I start writing it. And as I go, I'm like, well, this section looks better up here, or that looks better down there, you know. So um, it's kind of a hybrid approach for me, uh, depending on the product and the complexity of the uh, device or the topic in, in question. So um, I guess there's no one size fits all for me. Same here. And uh, it, it, 
Uh, I'm primarily just doing reviews at Mac Observer, so I don't have to really worry about who it is I'm writing for for different reviews. Um, a lot of what I will end up with is um, a text file, depending on where it starts, um, whether that's uh, something that's in drafts or it's in Evernote or it's just in the Notes app. Um, I will just start writing things down, uh, like when I first get it. Um, this is uh, this is really great, or it was impossible to open the box, or um, it was hard to set up. It was easy to set up. Um, I will write down like my own initial uh, impressions of whatever it is um, uh, from the from the packaging because I always stop and take some pictures to make sure that I've got like this is what it looked like. Here's everything that came in the box, uh, that sort of thing. Um, or you know when when appropriate, like here it is in action or all set up or whatever. Um, and I will write down and I will, you know, depending, like I've set timers, it took me this long to install that or set it up or, you know, whatever it was. And then um, a lot of the other pieces will come from uh, conversations with other people. Um, hey, I have one of these that I'm reviewing. Can you try it out and tell me what you think of it? Uh, you know, because like everybody's experience is a little bit different. And part of the reason that, um, I like to do that is because a lot of tech things are designed for guys. So, um, you know, if if you are a guy and you wear pants that have great big pockets, for example, um, a case that makes your phone significantly bulkier isn't going to matter to you. But to somebody like me, who unfortunately has, ends up wearing women's jeans a lot of the time, um, I don't have as much pocket acre acreage as guys do. And so if you're going to try and talk me into a case that makes my phone even bigger, like I already have a hard time getting it in my pocket in the first place. So I, like that's going to already be a strike against it in my book. Right now, if I carried it around in my purse, I probably wouldn't care as much, but I like to have my phone in my pocket or um, because I'm a woman, I have smaller hands than a lot of guys. And so, you know, you were talking about the distance of the space bar. Like that's a thing that I definitely would want to know because I can't reach as far as other people or, you know, um, there are certain things like that that I, I try to, to bring out in other people. So I will try to find people who have a different, uh, a different take on something. Uh, you know, I'm also left-handed, so I will have a right-handed person try that thing. Or, you know, because I'm a woman, I will try to get a, a guy to do, to, to pick it up and take a look and see how they feel about it or whatever. And I feel like having that other perspective helps. And then the conversation that I have with that person also can help uh, inform whatever it is I'm putting together. And so usually mine just comes from a blot, like little bl little blurbs of text that I stick in a file because then I've got, oh yeah, when I was talking to Mr. Kelly about that thing, uh, he said that this was the thing about it that he thought would be really useful. That was the thing that never occurred to me, so I'm glad I wrote that down. Or um, I handed this to one of my parents, or I handed this to my friend or my brother or whatever. and getting their perspective on that same product because their experience is not the same as mine and just trying to figure out a little bit more um, the utility in it or uh, the appeal for for somebody like why why would you spend your time your money your effort um, the space in your life for this particular thing so we live in a world where everybody can review everything. You can go to Amazon, you can review <laughs> the stuff you buy. Every time you use an app, you're asked for your opinion. When you order food or take a ride, you're asked for your opinion. So 
my question then is, you want to buy something for yourself. Let's, let's say it's a tech product just to keep it simple. But when you want to go buy something for yourself and you need to figure out what the right choice is for you, how do you figure that out? Do you read reviews? Do you read consumer reviews? Do you let Twitter tell you what to do? How, how do you make decisions like that? You know, it depends on the product, really. Uh, you know, with accessibility products and Braille products and things like that, you, it's a niche market. So there's not a heck of a lot of information on these products available, um, which, you know, is why it's um, sometimes a challenge. It's also a challenge for, you know, uh, like what Kelly was saying earlier, you know, you can just have your, you know, your your dad or your, you know, your significant other, or your grandparent check out the device. Well, Nobody around me uses Braille displays but me. So that's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> it's also a challenge when I look at buying one. You know, some companies will offer you demos, but good luck getting your money back with some of this stuff. You know, it doesn't always work out uh, as smoothly as you'd like. Sometimes I'll use the old mailing list. You know, uh, those come in handy. And yeah, Twitter, or if I'm looking at a mainstream product like a, a power bank or maybe, um, I don't know, a Bluetooth uh, keyboard or something, for example, yeah, I'll look at Amazon. I'll look at, um, whatever I can, even Twitter sometimes. If it's a very specific keyboard name, for example, all right, well, I can search Twitter for that, you know, to see what other people are saying. So a lot of it is what product is it? And that's going to determine in my head, you know, well, what is the best way to go about this? Google is sometimes a good thing, but of course you have to be careful. Is the company writing these or is a competitive company, you know, writing these reviews? Um, you know, and I guess I'm a little, uh, a little cynical there because I'm like, well, that seems a little too positive to me. I don't know if I want to trust that review. So I'll keep looking. Is it really the best product in the universe? Oh, I mean, yes. <laughs> I won the lottery nine times because of this keyboard. It's wonderful. <laughs> Partly I do what Scott says, which is, you know, it depends on the product. Um, as an Apple blogger, I know a number of other Apple bloggers and uh, people who review things and, and get their hands on a lot of gear. So um, I have the opportunity to, you know, tap into those contacts a little bit and go, hey, have you gotten your hands on one of these? I'm just curious if this one in particular is, you know, maybe what I'm looking for or not. Like, you know, I'm trying to, or I'm trying to do this thing with it. Is it possible with that device, whatever? Um, I will also look at Amazon reviews, but I um, there's a service called Fake Spot, which you can use um, that will tell you if the reviews uh, it has some sort of indexing algorithm or something, and it will tell you like uh, twenty percent of the reviews are fake or forty percent of the reviews are fake. So if something oh, cool. has like a suspiciously high FakeSpot.com lets you it will tell you like yeah we think most of these reviews are legit or uh, there's just no way. And so uh, it's it's nice to kind of have that backup of like, this is the one I was thinking about buying and then I can feed it to fake spot and find out like, yeah, you know what? Almost like only a few of those reviews were written by robots or were written by accounts that only ever put up four words, you know, fast shipping looks great, you know, that kind of thing. That's like not necessarily like a helpful review when you want to actually use it. Um, so I will use some reviews and I will also like ask my friends, like, how, how did you solve the problem? I think that this thing will solve for me and, you know, kind of try and, and get a grip on it that way. Um, just to see, uh, you know, maybe, cause maybe there's, there's some way to do it that I haven't thought about or, um, 
you know, maybe there's, there's um, another product that I just haven't heard of yet through, you know, whatever method it was, you know, that I found out about the first one or something. So I try to, um, uh, like Scott, I, you know, it kind of depends what it is, um, how I am able to go about, you know, figuring out the thing that I'm going to get. So we're down to the last question on the show, the famous one more thing question where we get a little <laughs> whimsical on you. And, uh, and, I, and I get to answer this question too, and, and I love this one. So in all of your years of, of reviewing products, what is the one thing that you have either wanted to or maybe you did get to keep uh, that you reviewed that you just got and you thought, oh my God, this is amazing. I want one right now. I, I really wanted to keep that keyboard with the nine lottery, you know, winning tickets. <laughs> Sadly, it, made you it send didn't it back? exist. Oh, oh, that's too bad. It just didn't this exist. Mythical unfortunately. products are the best ones. <laughs> those are always the best. You know, those reviews that come out on April Fool's Day, love them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in uh, adaptive technology, you don't get sent a lot of free demos. You either have to find funding to get them, or you have to, you know, hope that they'll re- you can return the product within 30 days, or there's just nothing like that available. I won't mention any companies or any names, but. And and that's kind of one of the struggles for me as a writer in the adaptive technology field is um, I can't go out and buy four thousand um, dollar products and just to review them. Uh, I don't get paid like that to write. I'm not that good of a writer. So I haven't really had that many uh, product. A lot of where my original product demos came from was uh, a job I had in the past where I had access to all this adaptive technology. So I decided to leverage that resource into writing reviews. Uh, for people who didn't have access, kind of like I do now. But so that's my question, Scott. If you could have kept something that you reviewed, what would it have been? I really liked, and, uh, you know, I was I was beta testing it, and I did end up writing a review on it, but there was a, a note taker called the BrailleSense Mini, and uh, the U2 Mini. And I loved it because it was in a nice small package, and I had used the U2, the bigger version of it before. Um, and I, I wish I could have kept it. They were willing to offer a discount on it, but not, you know, to just give it to me, which I can understand, you know, at $4,000, you don't want to give too many of those away. Um, but yeah, I wish I could have kept that. I mean, you know, if I could have kept that keyboard, I could have bought a whole bunch of them, but nope. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, do you have one? Uh, I do. Um, I have a Matthias keyboard, um, speaking of Uh, keyboards. And uh, I have the, uh, now I'm not going to remember the name of it, so I'm going to have to try and type really quietly uh, while I look it up. But um, I have a Matthias keyboard, and the reason that I am in love with the the Tactile Pro is the one that I have. Um, And the reason that I I love it is because it feels like an Apple Extended 2 keyboard. Uh, it's got nice chunky keys and they go, they, they press really far that travel when you press on them, they go a long ways. So it's not like the very, very short travel you have on an Apple keyboard, whichever one you're using. Um, they're all very yeah. shallow. And so, um, the other thing I love about it is that it's loud, which is not a feature that people love in a keyboard. I do, um, because it sounds like it feels like, and sounds like the Apple II extended keyboard from the early eighties. And to me, that keyboard is the sound of productivity. That's what it sounds like when you're getting <laughs> things done. Because I was a kid when I sat down in front of one of those for the first time. And so getting to sit in front of something that sounds like that now um, is 
very to me is is very pleasing um i also have another one from matthias called the quiet pro which is one that i use um often like uh right now i have the quiet pro in front of me while i do podcasts and things so that i don't um type people off the key <laughs> off, off the podcast while i'm <laughs> you know i'm trying to be really quiet song 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 um they're beautiful keyboards they're super duper well built and uh, it's a thing that I use all day, every day, and it just makes me so happy to put my hands on because my primary, the primary thing I do with the bulk of my day is type. I'm typing answers to people. I'm writing an article. I'm posting a podcast. I'm sending out emails. I'm replying to emails. Uh, that's the bulk of my day. So going through that process and having a very utilitarian, you know, a, a piece of equipment that like, I have strong opinions about keyboards. We could do an entire episode just about <laughs> keyboards at some point if you really wanted to. Um, because there are those that I love and those that I really don't. And so this, the Matthias keyboards, um, I got a chance to meet um, Edgar, who is the fellow behind Matthias um, years ago. And I got a chance to tell him how excited I was about his keyboard and how happy I was to get to type on it. And uh, that, and for me, that was very exciting to just get the opportunity to be like, hey, this, you know, this tool that you make is awesome. And it makes my life better in, in all these ways. Um, my husband would disagree because when I have the Tactile Pro out, um, he doesn't like to even just come in the office <laughs> while I'm typing. Because I also <laughs> type about, like, literally, I type about 100 words a minute. I think the last time I took a test, it was like 107 words per minute. Um, so when you think about a really loud keyboard, and now it's going at, at a very fast pace, um, yeah, he at, at points has been like, I, I, I feel like I'm being punished because you're over there like making all that noise. <laughs> what are you doing? So, um, so when he, when he's around or like when I'm doing a podcast or something, I will use the quiet pro, but the rest of the time I really like to put that tactile pro on my desk and just let fly. And it makes me, it just makes me happy. Shelly. So, and everybody else is wrong about keyboards. Like whatever you believe about <laughs> keyboards everybody is wrong and i i am i am i feel strongly about that too it's like wait you people and your flat keyboards and your yeah. little quiet little chiclet keyboards you're wrong yes like a keyboard that has some heft behind it yes. i can <laughs> type on one of those i just don't want to right i and it's funny because i worked here at home in my house by myself for years and years and then i got a day job where i went to an office and they gave me an apple magic keyboard and i was fine with it but what I realized is that Magic Keyboard was so much quieter than what I had at home. And I missed, I was like, why is it so quiet? It's because I missed the sound of my own typing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's encouraging, right? It's like, oh, man, I'm working hard today. Yeah, you really feel very productive. Well, the yeah. one I have right now, one of the little rubber feet is missing, so <gasps> I need to. Oh, no. And so it's a terrible thing. It just makes not a good noise. I need to. I need to solve that problem ASAP because now that I'm working at home constantly again, yes, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to have to get another keyboard, but I want to touch it before I buy it. My answer to this, I, it, it, they're two, they're kind of weird answers. And one of them is a very, because it's a very old product and not that I actually had any real use for it. I just wanted it at the time for sort of weird sentimental reasons, but Apple very long time ago made a Unix server based on IBM's AIX. And my husband oh. at the time was working at IBM. Yeah. And I got to review it for Mac user. Ooh. And I wanted to take it home. 
I would have and wanted like, to what, take it home too. I understand. What am I going to do? It was a nice looking machine. It was mm-hmm. really cool. It looked like no other Apple products you've ever yeah. seen. And the other one, Scott, and you can tell me because you've probably actually used it. I've only seen it. Is the Bomb Forty Braille display because it's the Apple product of Braille displays. It's oh, all yes. shiny and sleek and pretty. And Ricky Enger showed me one of those at she was working for Bomb at a trade show, and she handed me one, and I was like. Would you notice if I just put this in my pocket? Because it's so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all their, pro- you know, kind of like we were saying with the keyboards earlier, you know, all their products were built really well. But you're right. Yes. I had a very Ultra 20 for quite a while. I had to sell it. Unfortunately, it was a sad day for me. But oh, uh, you're right. I was like, oh, man. Brushed aluminum. So they really, and- they, yeah. yeah. And sadly, they are, I don't know what their current status is, but they, they were out of business for a while and maybe they're getting picked up. I don't know. Maybe you know, but. Uh, they're trying, but it's really not coming together. I don't quite understand yeah. what's going on with that. But yeah, um, it's very sad, you know, and even now getting support for those displays and getting them back and forth, because a lot of the time they have to be sent to uh, Germany. To Germany. Not every time yep. now. Yeah. But oh, well. um, man, what a, what a device, you know, it, it did everything I wanted it to do. Uh, and then I ended up getting a battery pack for it because the battery life was the only problem with it. And then I got to write a review on the battery pack. So it was like two for the <laughs> price of one. Well, there you go. And you okay. get paid to write about something awesome. So, yeah. well, Kelly and Scott, I want to thank both of you guys for joining me on Parallel 27. And before we go, I want to give you each a chance to plug the things you do on the Internet, especially Kelly, whose credits I didn't get through at the beginning of the show, despite <laughs> my making her write them down. So, Kelly, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, you can find me weekday mornings hosting the Mac Observer Daily Observations podcast over at MacObserver.com. You can also find me uh, hosting my own podcast about Westworld, which is called Greetings from the Uncanny Valley over at The Incomparable. I do pop up on other Incomparable shows from time to time, depending on uh, what we've got going on. And um, you can find me on Twitter as Verso, and I'm always looking for your Westworld theories for Greetings from the Uncanny Valley. And uh, yeah, you can find me on other podcasts here and there. Um, I do Mac Voices with uh, Chuck Joyner on the regular and I show up other places too, depending on uh, who wants to invite me to come talk on their show like he did. I just talked to Chuck last week. Just came out. Chuck makes me do video. It's very disconcerting, but anyway. (laughs) Scott, where can people find you on the internet? Half the time I can't find myself. Let's start with that. (laughs) I was in 27 different states last year. Uh, so oh, it's always just, you know, it's I, one week I'm here, the other week I'm there. Online, a lot of the time what I do is I try to keep Twitter updated. My Twitter is Scott Davert. That's S-C-O-T-T-D-A-V-E-R-T. Unfortunately, I'm not cool like Shelly. I can't just have my first name on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of all over the place, and that's mainly because, you know, the podcasting and review writing and things like that, um, I don't have my own space. It's kind of a side thing I do on top of what I do for a sprint, soon to be T-Mobile accessibility. So, uh, you know, yeah, the Twitter feed is typically where I try to post everything that I do, whether it be on AppleViz, Blind Bargains. Uh, of course, I will uh, tweet out this uh, Parallels podcast and Shelly, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. I uh, really enjoyed uh, recording this podcast. 
Well, thank you, and thank you, Kelly, for being on. Let me give the plugs for the show before we take off for the day, however. Excellent. Uh, as Scott mentioned, you can find me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. If you have any guest suggestions, topic suggestions, always looking for those. Also, you can follow the show at Parallel Pods on Twitter, or you can find us over at Relay FM at relay.fm slash parallel. Scott, Kelly, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you next time.